Welcome. This talk was recorded at Insight LA in Long Beach. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit us at InsightLA.org. I was here two weeks ago, and many of you were here. And the topic that we were discussing uh, was faith. And we got to the end of the talk, and um, it was time for sharing. And you broke up into small groups, and then we came back, and a couple of you shared what was being discussed in the small group. And I was so touched and moved by what people said that it really stayed with me for two weeks and um, infiltrated my practice. Those comments really gave me a direction for practice. And so the topic today is um, life is your practice. Right? How we use the practice in life and trust that life is our practice. What comes to us is the practice. As um, these shares came to me, and um, so Diana reminded us, we were talking about faith. She reminded us that um, we all have Buddha nature, and the faith is in that we are capable, we have capacity to awaken to meditate, to practice fully. And, um, and then there were two very interesting stories uh, that came after that. Jacqueline shared a story, Jacqueline's over there, um, about being in a conversation <coughs> with someone. And I may get this wrong, but We'll get being in a conversation with someone and that person from her point of view and the word that I want to emphasize is view was wrong right and she pretty well knew factually that this person was not right she was the person was wrong um, and from my understanding of the story, right, she could have, she's here, you, or she could have stayed very angry and contracted and tight and resentful and all the things we do when we're having a dialogue and we're not agreeing with that person and maybe they're hurting us in some way or, or we're feeling some pain from what they've shared. But she was able to put down her view long enough to say, I understand where you're coming from. I understand how you got to your ideas. <clears throat> I think it's an important um, observation and practice of what the Buddha teaches. And there was a second story somewhere over there. <laughs> we won't say that person's name because I didn't get his permission. And he was telling a story about being at a music concert or a rock concert with his daughter. Do you remember? The, some of you remember. I, this is really important story, isn't it? And he said that they had found some keys, and his idea was, um, I'm going to go to the front where the security guards are and all the guards and give them the keys. I'm not going to wait till the end when it's hard and chaotic and people are leaving. I'm going to drop the keys now because obviously someone's not going to be able to get in their car and drive, right? And so he's pushing these people 
in the concert to get to the front. Those of you who have been to concerts, you know that claustrophobic feeling where you've, there's so many people in a tight space. And he got kind of to the front, and one of the security guards pushed him back and said, and screamed at him a little bit and said, you don't push people. Right? Very unpleasant experience. He was trying to help, and he didn't get a very good response. And he said um, in our group that even though it was unpleasant, his faith was, his trust was, that life was giving him a message in the form of something unpleasant that he needed to hear. You don't push people. Right? You don't push. When they don't want to move, don't push them. And so both of these are wonderful examples of how we can practice freedom, awareness, wakefulness in our everyday life through some of the teachings and how uh, the practice is so portable that it just comes with us. And they're both talking about um, two core teachings from the Buddha, and one is on self-view, fixed ideas, and the other is on very closely my self-concept, who I think I am and how I see myself. And we can really, understanding what the Buddha is teaching around self-view and self-concept can bring us to a place of more freedom in our life, to more relaxation, to more coolness. So that's what I wanted to talk about. So that's what I wanted to talk about. We'll see what happens. <laughs> um, so... So the word in Pali for self-view is Sakaya Diti. We've talked about it in here before. And it's a personality view, a sense of oneself as a separate person, identified with your body, how you think you look, your sense of your body, um, memories, thoughts, images, um, how you were raised, what the culture tells you that you've internalized. And the Buddha called it a habit. We don't think of our self-view as a habit. We think about biting our nails as a habit, right? We think about uh, putting the snooze button on 10 times when you have to get out of bed, that's a habit. Or eating an extra cookie or two, well, that's a habit, right? But the Buddha called a self-view a habit one that we all have, um, and one that our culture reinforces, and one that can make life constricting and painful for us, that can really make life a little more difficult. Um, so um, he also talked about the word nibbana, nibbana as freedom and awakening, and it means kind of cooling and extinction. It doesn't mean taking something out completely, you know, but it means cooling it down. So we want to cool down our self-view and cool down our self-concept to have a little more freedom and peace. An example of this was yesterday. Um, I had to go to a meeting in Santa Monica, and we also had the Saturday sit uh, going on at the same time. And I think I must have had many things going on in the last couple of days, too many. And 
so at home, I have all the cushions and stuff for the Saturday sit in one car that I drive around with. And actually, there's a statue of the Buddha that's strapped into the back seat of my car. So <laughs> we call this portable Buddha practice, right? He's always there. I look over my shoulder. He used to be in the front seat, and then uh, my husband reminded me I could get a ticket for that, <laughs> you know. To carpool lane, Buddha. <laughs> right. Okay. So, so uh, at the last minute, um, I had to tell my husband Joel, "Well, look, you've got to drive my car and take all this and open up the Montecito Center because I'm on my way to Santa Monica for a couple of meetings." And um, of course, I waited to the last minute because I had so many other tasks. You know, this is life, right? And so, somehow, I move all the stuff into one car, and then I move the stuff that I need for Santa Monica in the other car, and the next thing I know, I'm driving on the 405, and I'm in the wrong car. (laughs) (laughs) Self-concept, self-view. So so I had to drive back down the 405. I was at the airport by the time I realized that, and um, I had to call Joel and say, I brought the wrong car. And drive back down to Seal Beach Boulevard, right? And switch cars. So what was my self-view, right? What was my self-concept? Can you hear what everybody's nodding? What The things you say to yourself, right? Can you imagine all the things that I was saying to myself? I was missing a meeting that I'd gone for. I did a lot of driving on the 405 yesterday. But that's practice in Dharma, right? I, I said, you know, the awareness was sort of there. Well, can I watch what arises in the mind about this story? I could have made that very painful, right? What's wrong with you? What were you thinking? You weren't thinking. Oh, my God, this is crazy. What if I don't get there? What if it doesn't open up? What if I miss the meeting, right? You've been there about the way we, the things we tell ourselves that reinforce, reinforce there's a self doing something. Well, what if that dialogue wasn't there? That's what I thought. What if, this, what if I'm just not going to say that about myself? What if I'm just going to drive down the 405, drive back up the 405, and not have a view about it? It was just life happening, right? Life happens that way. Things like that happen all the time, don't they? Yeah. And so the practice was no view, no story. No story of what of you, and uh, it wasn't too bad. There was some good stuff on the radio, and I saw a lot of the 405, <laughs> a lot. <laughs> and I got to the meeting, and I still had a good hour with folks, and there was still very good content and real interesting stuff. And then I went to my next meeting, and then I kind of came home, and that was the day. So (coughs) there's a lot of stuff we tell ourselves about our view and about what's happening and who we are in it that isn't so necessary. Right? It's just not so necessary. If we can wake up and use some energy and some investigation and some kindness and some compassion to just notice... Oh, I'm telling a story and it's kind of painful, right? 
and it's it's tightening me. It's constricting me. When you tell these stories about yourself, it's like your whole physical structure tightens and goes like that, right? That, you know that tightened place? Well, maybe it's an option. Maybe it's an option and not a fact. So um, it's a pointer. And, and I think Jacqueline in your story and the other person in his story, were, they were demonstrating that we could meet life more freely. Um, we are training our capacity to meet our experiences without tightening around a view. And when you loosen it, there's more freedom. More, we're coolness. We're cooling. We're cooling down. Nibbana. We're really cooling that tightening. So I'll read something from um, Sayadaw Uttanesha. I love this. He says, um, the mind is an aspect of nature. The mind is an aspect of nature, not I, not self, no person. The mind is a natural phenomenon. Only when you have this right idea, then you can truly be aware. You are practicing awareness to find out about this nature. While you may not understand or realize this right view at first, you can relate to everything that happens. You can also think through the information you now have. Why are you practicing awareness? You want to know the truth, the reality of things. This is why you maintain awareness. Awareness, do not forget this purpose. So the mind is an aspect of nature. I love that line. Because what we do with self-view and self-concept is we put a lot of I in it, and then it's only me that thinks like this. It's only me who really thinks, if they knew me, they wouldn't like me, right? Or really worries that I'm competent, or really worries that I'm likable. And we were talking about this in the MBCT class, the mindfulness class, about how... Um, and I have this list here somewhere about how um, in cognitive behavioral therapy you look at these mind assumptions and you're supposed to like find them when you think about these things that um, that create stress, anxiety, or depression, right? Just stress, let's just say. And then you say, oh, I'm thinking this way and it's wrong. What's the thought that's right? right? That's, that's the game of cognitive behavioral therapy. And some of the things that we think about that tighten us and give us more stress and they're not actually correct assumptions are things like, um, am I jumping to a conclusion? Right? I don't know all the facts and I've jumped to the conclusion. Or am I thinking, you know, in all or nothing terms? I'm very fond of all or nothing. I don't know about you. Like, all or nothing works for me. Uh, am I condemning myself um, because of one thing that I did, like not get in the right car? You know, um, am I concentrating on my weaknesses and forgetting my strengths? It goes, am I judging? Am I blaming myself for something that's not my fault? Am I mind reading, crystal ball gazing? But you see, all of this, the, the problem with this is that we're not seeing these things 
as this is the nature of mind. It's not my mind. It's a mind. It's the mind. It's the way the mind operates. And it's very normal and common to think just like this. You know, it's everybody's mind. And from some of us who have been in the self-compassion classes, and we know about the self-compassion break, and I want to talk about that here, which when you're having a moment of difficulty or something going wrong, some suffering, some tightness, um, you stop, you take a pause, and say, oh, ouch, this hurts, this is suffering. And the Buddha taught this to know suffering as it's unfolding in your awareness in that moment, right? This is something that hurts. Life can have these hurts, right? And then the next part of it is to, is to acknowledge that many people suffer just like this. And then the last part of it is to say, may I be kind to myself, may I have compassion, may I love myself, may I accept myself as I am. Well, this is a really profound teaching right here. It's not a little thing, but very often, even when we're practicing the self-compassion break, we lose the middle part, which is many people suffer in this way. It's another reminder that it's not your mind, it's the mind. It's every mind. It's all minds suffer like this. All minds say these anxiety-provoking things. All minds fear. All minds worry if they're not good enough. All minds measure and evaluate and criticize. Right? And that's what Buddha taught. This is the nature of mind. It's a habit, very entrenched. It's going to take a good lifetime to release. But we get these little releases, these little moments, these little awareness, like bubbles popping, these little pops, when we can let go. And when we let go, we get some peace. We're expanded. The mind is not just a constricted, tight, muddy, cloudy mind. It's also luminous and bright, filled with love and care and kindness and exuberant. It can be ecstatic. It could be wild. The nature of mind is all of that. And so when we realize, oh, this is the nature of mind, and we step back and we don't identify as an I and cling to it, we may get some peace, some exuberance, some freedom, some wildness, some relief, some expansiveness, compassion, and love. That all comes, right? Because this is also the nature of mind. This is also a mind. So I'll read you a quote. If I can find it. Uh, here. This is from... Um, Osho, who used to be called Rajneesh, but then he changed his name to Osho. I guess you can change your name every few decades. <laughs> okay, so Osho. Rajneesh was a, um, a big guru in the 60s, 70s. Is he still alive? Do we know? We don't know. Okay. But he wrote some wonderful things, and, and this is a, something that, a quote, Somebody asked him, Osho, I feel life is very boring. What should I do? And he says, this is his answer. Well, you know, as it is, you've already done enough. You have made life boring. 
That's some achievement. <laughs> All right, that's an achievement. Life is such a dance of ecstasy, and you have reduced it to boredom. You've done a miracle. <laughs> what else do you want to do? You can't really do anything bigger than that. Life and boring? You must have a tremendous capacity to ignore life. Ignorance means the capacity to ignore. You must be ignoring the birds, the trees, the flowers, the people. Otherwise, life is tremendously beautiful, so absurdly beautiful, that if you can see it as it is, you will never stop laughing. You will go on giggling, at least inside. Life is not boring, but mind is boring. And we create such a mind, such a strong mind, like a china wall around ourselves, that it does not allow life to come into us. It disconnects us from life. We become isolated, encapsulated, and windowless. Put aside your knowledge and then look with empty eyes. And life is a constant surprise. Am I not talking about some divine life? The ordinary life is so extraordinary. In small incidents, you will find the presence of God. Miss the present and you live in boredom. Be in the present and you will be surprised that there is boredom at all. Right. So, uh, my concepts and views can be like a wall. I'm so mad about the wall that they want to build, but what about the wall that I build, right? <laughs> I'm so tight and constricted, I don't see what's going on, right? So uh, the, extra the ordinary life is so extraordinary. In small incidents, you will find the presence of God. And um, he says, there's something that he said here. Uh, and then look with empty eyes. Look with empty eyes. And this is the Buddha's teaching. Look with empty eyes. That's the whole teaching in one sentence. Look with empty eyes. doesn't take that much. Doesn't take that much. Look with empty eyes. Drive on the 405 without a thought again and again. <laughs> right? Look with empty eyes. So so we're loosening moment by moment that grip of me, and we're moving from self-absorption really to self-care, which is why I like that self-compassion break so much, because in the last part of it is about caring for myself and nurturing myself and being warm when I'm in that habit of selfing, of I, me, and mine, when I'm taking a selfie, <laughs> when I'm taking a negative selfie. Right. So... Um, so we use warmth and compassion and care in the moment to unlock it, to ungrip it, when it can ungrip. Let's see if I've said everything.
So with that self-compassion break, how many of you take a self-compassion break? It's a lot of you. Yeah, I, I know a lot of us in the room have been working on that. So with that self-compassion break, take a break from self, but be compassionate about it. Right? And give yourself room to see the nature of mind. Right? Give yourself room to know that, ah, this is the nature of mind. This is the nature of a mind, not my mind and me, but the nature of a mind. Okay. And see if you can loosen the grip and cool around it. So we'll do a little meditation, a mini meditation. Closing your eyes, finding a comfortable posture. Maybe thinking of a moment this week where um, you noticed yourself tightening around a concept, an idea of yourself, an image an evaluation, a judgment. It doesn't have to be the worst one. It could be a mild one. And just bringing that to your mind's eye. And as you recall back through words or image, notice if there are sensations in your body that go along with that. And see if you can notice or note what those sensations are. And then maybe notice what you told yourself about yourself or about someone else. What did you tell yourself? What were the words? See if you can bring a warm smile in your heart, a breath of compassion, a warm blanket of compassion around this habit of mind, this nature of mind that judges and divides and makes comments and tells a story, bringing some warmth, bringing kindness. Ah, oh, look, this is the nature of mind. This is the nature of mind. All minds think this, like this, just like this. All minds tell stories just like this. All minds suffer in this way, just like this. May I be kind to this being, this mind, this moment. May I bring kindness. May I bring softness. May I bring a gentle awareness of this habit of mind. And just in this moment, 
this moment, may I be free of this kind of suffering. May I be free of suffering and may all beings who think this way be free of suffering. May I and everyone, all minds, have peace, have mental peace. And may I see the world and myself through empty eyes. Just listen to a recording from Insight LA in Long Beach. For more information, please visit us at insightla.org.